Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the difference between being a fan and between being a follower. And we've laid out these kind of moments when Jesus is interacting with people, and He has what we described on Easter Sunday, a define the relationship talk with them. Where He says, okay, we've got to define what are you going to be in relationship to Me? Are you going to be someone that's a follower of Mine? Or are you going to be somebody that just says that you like what I'm doing, you're a fan? And over the last few weeks, we've kind of looked at the difference between the two, and we've talked about people like Nicodemus, where Jesus says you've got to be born again. And we've talked about uh, the crowds that were gathered around, and with His disciples, when He says, basically, am I your one and only, or am I one of many? Well, today we're going to continue that, but we're going to move towards finishing the series, and we're actually going to have two more weeks. And instead of looking at particular encounters with uh, people saying, are you going to be a fan or follower? What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is look at what Jesus describes as what it means to follow Him. And today we're going to look at particular, uh, a verse of Scripture. In fact, we're just going to look at one verse of Scripture today. But it's where Jesus lays out for everyone what it means to truly follow Him. Now if I were to ask you, what's the most popular verse in the Bible, what would you say? John 3.16, right? We, we could probably, most of us in this room, say it together. If you grew up in church, it was probably one of the first ones you ever memorized. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. We know it. It's one of those things that I don't have to prepare because it's just there. It's just in my mind. It's the verse that uh, even non-believers, people that aren't churchgoers, if you ask them a Bible verse, after they give you two or three that aren't in the Bible, they might, that's the one they might give you that are in the Bible. Uh, that, we shouldn't get on non-churchgoers very much. They ask uh, church-going people their favorite Bible verse, and number two was God helps those who help themselves, which the problem with that is it's not a Bible verse. All right? And so you, you, if they know one, um, some of you are like, it's where I thought it was. It's you're looking in there trying to find it now. Um, they know that one at ball games. People at football games, at basketball games, they'll put up signs that say John three sixteen. But the truth is, John three sixteen tells kind of the first part of the story, but it doesn't elaborate on what that means when it says that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't elaborate on what believe means. And Jesus spent His ministry elaborating on what the word believe means. And Luke 9.23 is not a verse that naturally comes to mind when people say what's the most popular verses in Scripture. It's not the verse that people think of when they think of Bible verses right away. But it is the corollary. It is the companion. It is the explanation of what it means to believe. And the truth is, one of the reasons people like John 3.16 so much is because they can give their own idea of what believe means and think that they are following Jesus. Luke 9.23 is much more specific. Jesus, after feeding 5,000, after Peter confesses Him as Lord, Jesus, by the way, Luke 9.23 is stated here and in two other Gospels as well. Just before he gives this statement in verse 23, he has told his disciples that he is 
going to be handed over, that He's going to be crucified, that He's going to raise again on the third day. And so in verse 23, He set the scene, and then He tells them what is required if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The essence of what we're going to talk about today is this. If this does not describe you, if this does not describe your experience with Christ, then you are not a follower, you're a fan. You're an enthusiastic admirer, but you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. Luke 9, 23. Then He said to them all, If anyone wants to come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. If anyone wants to come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow Me. A few things I want us to notice here quickly this morning. The first thing that I want us to notice is the open invitation that Jesus gives to follow Him. He literally says, if anyone. Now, you know preachers, and I talk about sometimes, try to make you say, well, what this word really means is this. Here's the thing. Anyone means anyone. Everyone. All. Whoever. Whosoever. There is nobody that has ever lived that is not included in this anyone. There is nobody in this room that is not included in this anyone. There is nobody alive on planet earth today that is not included in this anyone. Now the truth is, we hear that so much, or we know that it says that in Scripture so much, that we don't really think about the preposterous ask that Jesus is making here. The question that He's saying is literally, if you are alive, you have a chance to be one of my followers. We realize it's preposterous when we think about our own lives. How stained our own lives can be. Now, I know you can put up a good front for people around you, but if we're honest with ourselves, if we're truthful with ourselves, everybody in this room knows deep down that your thoughts, your actions, your desires are not things that you would immediately associate with following God. He says, if absolutely anyone wants to come. We also don't understand how ridiculous this sounded to his first audience because we don't realize the structure that they had then. They were people that... Um, we're familiar with rabbis asking people to follow them. In fact, the, there were lots of guys around that were rabbis, that were teachers, and they would have disciples. But you had to always apply to be a disciple. Anybody here been to college, had a kid go to college, thinking about going to college? Anybody? Colleges require you to submit an application to go to college, Right? I mean, you have to fill out forms, you have to get recommendation letters, you have to give transcripts, you got to have grades. I mean, if you want to go to certain colleges, they have certain requirements about what you have had to do in high school and in your life. They expect to see essays, they have interviews, all that stuff. When I was in high school, here's the crazy thing, colleges didn't come and ask me to come to their school, I asked colleges if I could go to their school. There's a difference, right? 
Well, in Jesus' day, when rabbis were going around, they were asking people not to, hey, we, I want you to follow me. What they were asking is, you can apply to follow me, and then I'll determine if you're worthy. These guys went through rigorous application processes. They, were, they didn't have written exams back then, so it was all oral examinations. But they were given oral exams. In fact, they would sit down with the teacher, the rabbi, and the guy would sometimes say to him, all right, here's your test. I'm going to give you two questions. First of all, recite for me the entire book of Deuteronomy. Anybody here? They would do that. Anybody want to start doing that right now? The whole book of Deuteronomy. Or they would ask a question like this. How many times is the name of the Lord mentioned in Leviticus 11? And I know you know all know the answer, but think about that. It was rigorous. Now compare that to what Jesus did. How did Jesus offer invitations for people to follow Him? He just walked up to Him and said, what? Come on. Remember Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he's there, he's a guy nobody wants to talk to and Jesus walks up to this guy that is an outcast who probably thinks God doesn't care anymore, that nobody in the community likes, this guy that's cheating his neighbors and his friends and his family out of money and he says to him, just come on, follow me. When he goes out to the boats and we see people out there fishing and he tells them throw over on the other side and they throw and they get a big catch and he says, y'all come and just follow me. See, sometimes when we preach those texts or we think about that, we're just, man, how in the world could a guy like that give up everything to follow this guy he doesn't know? The most remarkable thing about it is not the guy leaving what he has to follow Jesus. The most remarkable thing is Jesus taking anyone that would come to follow him. He says, if anyone. This is one of those that doesn't have an asterisk involved. You know, like sometimes you'll see on TV one of those commercials that says, anyone can buy a car with us. And then it'll have a little asterisk, and in the fine print it'll say WAC. Anybody know what that means? With approved credit. There's no asterisk in this. There's no, Jesus says, anyone can follow me unless you have. Anybody can be my follower except if this is part of what you've done. In fact, you may be here today and you're just here because it's Mother's Day and you told your mom you would come and you, you're here, but you think to yourself, there is no way that I could ever be a true follower of Jesus. And the truth is, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. The invitation is always open. I, I got my iPad out this morning and read my daily uh, newspaper that I have on my iPad. And there's a story, there's an interesting story about a 66-year-old guy in California that walked into a police station this week and admitted to a murder from 1981. The cops, the case had gone cold, they didn't have any leads. In fact, where the murders happened has been plowed down and there's now a strip mall right there. So they interviewed this guy and he told them details that only the, the cops that were working the case had known about it. There were all these things and they were like, we're confident this is him, it was a double homicide. And they ask him, what made you come in and confess? He said, well, I lived my life years and years trying to run away from this. He said, and recently I've become a follower of Jesus and I couldn't run anymore. Now, that's a guy that lived from 1981 to 2012. 31 years on the run. And yet God says, Jesus says, anyone can follow me. 
He then says, if anyone wants to come after me. The phrase there, come after, is an interesting phrase because in their original language, that phrase was almost always used in the confines or discussion of a romantic relationship. And it meant one who is passionately pursuing another and will do things that don't necessarily make sense in the pursuit. Anybody here ever done something crazy because you're in love? Some of you guys better say yes. It's Mother's Day, right? Anybody ever done something? I mean, if you listen to our songs, we people talk about being crazy in love, crazy about love. Um, you know, we, we love is that thing that makes people just go crazy and not even... Think. I read a, a story this week about... Uh, a, a guy who remembered when his the first guy friend he had became interested in girls in the fifth grade. And he remembers they were playing baseball one day out on the field at recess, and he looked over, and his friend was sitting with this little girl, and they were cutting out doll shapes. And he said, my friends and I decided we needed a group intervention. And we talked to him and he tried to explain to us why he liked cutting out doll shapes more than playing baseball. And we didn't understand it until we did the same things. One of my, one of the, you know, people just do crazy things for, for love. I, I mentioned the songs that I will always love you and, and my heart will go on. Those, those sappy songs. They're one of my favorite, uh, things to think about is one of the, uh, there's a song that came out several years ago by the, uh, the artist known as Meatloaf. Everybody know Meatloaf? How many of you know who Meatloaf is? All right. There you go. Look at, no, no hands down here. Did y'all see that? We may need to have a music education class or something. Meatloaf was a guy in the 70s, you know. I mean, he was a guy that, uh, you know, two out of three ain't bad. He likes the girl. He thinks he wants to, but he doesn't really love her. But two out of three ain't bad, all right. Um, but he had a song that came in his, in his comeback years back when I was in high school called I Will Do Anything for Love. Anybody remember that song? Uh, you know, and he, he said, he said he would march right into hell and come all the way back for love. But then he has this weird thing at the end. He says, but I won't do that. And he never says what that is. So you're left wondering, what is that? Alright? People do crazy things for love. What Jesus is saying here is, if you, anyone, wants to be a part of a passionate pursuit of me and my Father, if anyone wants to be somebody that your one-track mind is focused completely on following me, that's what's at stake here. Not just some kind of ho-hum religion or Sunday-only kind of thing. Not something where you can fill yourself up in the morning with reading this Bible verse and saying a quick prayer and rushing out the door. We're talking about a full life commitment. We're talking about everything you are. We're talking about being willing to do crazy things for love. For the Lord. That's what come after means there. It means a passionate Pursuit, a passionate devotion to Christ. When's the last time that your pursuit of Jesus caused you to do something unexplainable by mere reason or logic or normal standards? 
Because what Jesus is talking about here is not living a happy, healthy, normal, everyday, common life like everybody else and then just adding Jesus into the mix. He's talking about a complete devotion of heart, soul, mind, and spirit. He's talking about everything that you have being poured completely into this relationship with Him. If anyone, anyone wants to come after me, here are the conditions. There are three. He must deny himself. Complete and total surrender. No exceptions. No loopholes. No clauses. No holding anything back. When he says he must deny himself, he means to completely deny yourself. Surrender completely. You know, I was thinking about it this week in Mother's Day, that one example we have in our culture and in cultures from all time of what it means to kind of surrender for someone else is motherhood. I mean, there's the literal surrendering of control completely of your body because you've got a child growing inside of you for nine months. And then there's the surrendering of your life after the child is born of things that you might want or do because you're taking care of this child for the rest of your life, basically. In fact, uh, it was kind of funny the other day we were riding in the car and it was just Luke and me for some reason. I can't remember where we were, but Luke and I were riding in the car and we were talking and Luke just out of the blue says, Daddy, I am really glad God made me a boy. And I said, well, I'm, I'm really glad God made, me, made you a boy too. And then he said, kind of in an inquisitive way, he goes, and once God makes you a boy, you're always a boy, right? And I, I didn't want to get into social and culture. I said, absolutely, yes. He said, uh, he said, you know why I'm glad I'm a boy, Daddy? I said, why is that? He goes, because I don't ever have to have babies. <laughs> all right, that's a good reason, all right? Jesus says here that, what he's calling us to is complete surrender. We've created an environment in this country where people think it's okay to kind of be a partial follower of Jesus. To follow him part of the time or with part of your life. In fact, George Barna did a study several years ago, this interesting thing where he asked 18 to 45-year-olds, Are you, what's your religious affiliation? They did the whole thing. And they found out that 65% of 18 to 45-year-olds still claim to be born-again Christians. But then they asked them all these other questions related to the Bible, and only 15 to 20% would agree with the biblical statements that were there about Jesus, about morality. And we're not talking about gray issues. We're talking about things the Bible speaks specifically about. It reminded me of, of a story I read recently about a new group of vegetarians. They're interviewing this new group of vegetarians, and one of the girls says, well, I'm mostly vegetarian, but I really like sausage. Well, that means you're not a vegetarian, right? Well, they, she said, well, I, I guess you could say I'm not a vegetarian. She said, I'm a flexitarian. I'm a vegetarian most of the time, but I'm not going to give up this. Well, here's what Jesus is saying here. There's no such thing as a flexitarian Christian. 
You can't say, I'm a follower of Christ with everything but. Remember the rich young ruler? Comes to Jesus, got everything in line. Jesus says, you've got it all. And then he says, oh good. And he goes, oh, one more thing. Sell everything you've got. Preachers like to take that story and say, what's your one thing? But the truth is, how would you react if it meant following Jesus was to sell everything you've got? Most of us in this room don't, wouldn't be classified as rich. Some of us not as young. And unless somebody's fooling me, or a ruler. And yet how difficult would it be for you if God came to you and said, sell everything you have. And who's to say he's not? We've tried to make it as easy as possible to follow Jesus. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus says, if absolutely anyone wants to come after me, he must take up or he must deny himself. First thing, surrender completely and then take up his cross daily. Now, there were other things he could have said to give the impression of dying daily because that's what he meant. I'm fan- if you wanted to make kind of a, a, a statement for Jesus, kind of a slogan, you know how uh, products have slogans like Nike's just do it or uh, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Or, you know, just statements that, you know, if you wanted one for Jesus, Jesus it would be something like, come and die. Right? I mean, it's kind of catchy, but it's not really positive, it sounds like. And he could have picked a lot of other ways to talk about dying. I mean, the Romans had lots of ways to kill people. They had easy ways to kill people and cheap ways to kill people. But that's not what Jesus chooses. Now, people on this side of the cross say, well, Jesus is saying take up your cross and follow daily because He was headed to the cross, which is true. But He also wants us to understand the symbolism that the cross brings. And He says, if you're going to follow Me, it will mean daily humiliation. The truth is, Romans only crucified people they wanted to humiliate. So all this talk about being a Christian will raise your social status and make you more popular, that is not what the Gospel preaches. It preaches daily humiliation. If you're trying to follow Jesus to be cool, then you're going in for the wrong reason. The cross was a symbol of absolute, utter humiliation. They would put you up naked on a cross for everybody to come and to see. The cross not only was a a tool of humiliation, but he's saying daily, not only are you going to be humiliated, but there is daily suffering involved in following Jesus. Isn't it getting better and better? I mean, the cross was used for people that the Romans wanted to make suffer, or in the case of Jesus, that the crowd wanted to make suffer. I mean, you've heard all of the stories around Palm Sunday and crucifixion about how absolutely excruciating it was. A word, by the way, excruciating, devised specifically to describe the cross because no word in their language could describe the agony involved with it. You've heard about where the nails went and the pressure and the trying to breathe and all of that. Jesus' point is, if you're expecting following me is going to bring you some kind of great awesome life. It is, but it may not be like you expect. In fact, He would tell His disciples, you rejoice when they hate you. 
Take pride in the fact that the world's going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. The cross was a symbol of humiliation, it was a symbol of suffering, and it was a symbol of sheer death. It's not just surrendering kind of little things. It is your entire life you're surrendering. There's a great quote in a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity where he says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. The slogan from Christ is die daily. The symbol is a cross. And that's a message that is often missed by people that are following Jesus today. When Jesus calls out to them, He says, this is the crazy thing for us to really think about. He says, when He just says, take up your cross daily, what He's saying is that we must choose death daily. The word take here indicates that dying is a choice we make. Typically today, just in physical death, we do everything to stave it off, to keep it from coming. We do everything to fight it. But here Jesus says, if you want to follow Me, you must choose to daily surrender yourself to Me. He says to them, if anyone wants to come with Me, he must deny himself and take up His cross daily. There's a lot packed into that short verse. And at the beginning I said something, I'm going to say again, because I want you to kind of drill this into your mind. What Jesus basically says is, if that's not true of you, then you're not a follower of Christ. Because He says, if anyone wants to follow Me, what must they do? First of all, they must deny themselves, they must die daily, and then they follow Him. We're going to talk next week specifically what that follow Him kind of means and flesh it out a little bit. But my question to you today is, have you surrendered your entire life daily to Christ? Or are you somebody like the rich young ruler that's trying to hold back part of what you have?